Good morning, friends. It is really wonderful to be with you for worship this morning as we begin a new series, one that reflects on an age-old dilemma of finding enough in our lives. This series is, is part of my doctoral project for my, my doctor of ministry degree, so I, I really truly appreciate your support and participation in this effort, and really, I promise not to geek out too much with you along the way. Over the next few months, we'll do this series in uh, sort of three two-week parts, so in three parts, each part being two weeks long. In the first week of each of these sequences, I'll introduce the topic in the first sermon, what we're doing today, to begin a conversation together. This will be followed by a dialogue session right after worship, where we'll discuss the ideas from the sermon, while also using resources from the minimalism and financial independence communities. This reflection and conversation that we have together will then be brought into the sermon the following Sunday. So really, it'll be our shared reflection next week that will be brought up in worship. Okay, I already promised not to geek out with you too much, and here I am doing all this inside baseball stuff. So I'll stop, but I want to make sure that you knew where we were heading and kind of the flow and structure of this. So for each of these two-week mini-series, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, where I believe Jesus has a particular interest in money, possessions, and uh, what a number of theologians are calling an ethic of enough. This ethic is contextual, means that it varies person to person as to what enough means. But these series hope to bring out some common threads in this ethic for each of us to think about and discern. My hope and prayer for for, uh, all of us together is that these sermons and our discussion together will lift up these common threads that each of us might discern, find, and live out our own ethic of enough. We begin today with what I believe is the foundational parable of an ethic of enough, the parable of the rich fool. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told him a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. 
John Bogle was the founder of the Vanguard investment firm, and he shares a story in one of his books about a party on Shelter Island a number of years ago that was hosted by a billionaire. In attendance were renowned authors Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. At one point during the party, Vonnegut tells his friend Heller that their host, a hedge fund manager, manager, sorry, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned in his wildly popular novel, Catch-22, over its whole history. Heller responds to his friend, yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. Bogle's story illustrates that finding and being confident in one's own feeling of enough is more powerful than excessive wealth and resources. Why? Because as humans, we have this innate tendency to always want more. Without some sort of guide for saying, that's it, I have enough, one will continuously feel that what they have and who they are are both inadequate. That they do not and are not, or do not have and are not themselves enough. We need an ethic of enough. One that will guide us throughout life to help us find contentment and joy and to resist the constant temptation for more, for better, and newer. I firmly believe, friends, that the Jesus we encounter in Luke's gospel is set on helping us find just such an ethic of enough. And our parable this morning is the foundation of such an ethic. So a man comes to Jesus seeking a fair distribution of his father's estate with his brother. Jesus doesn't step into this family case, but instead responds with a warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That word for greed in Greek is pleonexia. And it reflects an insatiable, unquenchable desire for more, the Greek word pleon. We know all too well, friends, what this word means, because the world in which we live is tuned to the very key of pleonexia. Through media, peer pressure, and beyond, we are socialized throughout our lives to constantly want more, to want better, to want newer, and so on and so on. I know as soon as Apple comes out with a new iPhone model with an extra camera on the back, suddenly all I want to do is get this good-for-nothing paperweight out of my life (laughs) and get that new fancy phone. But you know, the same could be said about the cars we drive, the homes we inhabit, the vacations we take, and so on. This timeless human tendency towards pleonexia, towards more, inspires the very parable Jesus tells about a landowner whose land produces an abundantly large harvest. I want you to take note how Jesus introduces that parable. He makes it clear that it's the land, not the landowner, not his agricultural skill or hard work, but the land is what is responsible for the harvest. Yet the surprisingly large harvest prompts a dilemma for the man. I'm guessing it's a dilemma that many of us, myself included, have every time we look at our garage. What am I going to do with all of this stuff? 
So he thinks to himself, and he's got it. He has a great idea. He's going to tear down all of his barns so that he can build bigger ones in their place. Then he can store all of his grain. Now, at first glance, it seems like he's acting pretty wisely, right? It might even remind Luke's readers of Joseph back in Genesis, advising Pharaoh to stockpile grain for seven years because a famine is going to come. Or perhaps he's the very embodiment of the proverb which says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Yet the devil here, friends, is not so much in the man's actions as it is in his motivation. See, he says to himself here, Once I build these bigger barns, then I'm going to have plenty of stuff. With all this stuff, I can sit back, relax, and enjoy my life. There you have it. His motivation isn't prudence, but it's greed. Pleonexia. His joy and security are now lodged with his unearned, abundant harvest. For this, God will step in and speak for the only time in a parable to call this man a fool. Also the only time God does this in a parable. Why? Because he has sought joy and security from his wealth and possessions rather than with God. Our parable tells us that there is a fine line between prudence and foolishness. The problem isn't the man's newfound wealth. Nor is it in seeking to protect his assets through proper planning and financial planning and and whatnot that each of us do and budgeting and saving and whatnot. Rather, the problem lies in his self-serving motivation, stockpiling his stuff so that he can sit back, relax, and enjoy himself. Like this man, many of us have a tendency to look for joy and security in our things, For instance, the average American home now contains over 300,000 items, and that collectively we spend over a trillion dollars a year on what economists deem non-essential items. As part of my uh, work for this project, I've had the joy of speaking with some of the leading voices uh, within the minimalism and financial independence communities to get their insights on what such an ethic of enough might mean, what it might look like from their vantage point. With each of these leaders, I also had the opportunity to discuss one of the key biblical texts I'm researching to reflect together on its significance on finding enough. It really has been a joy and a lot of fun to do this, and I, I hope to be sharing some of these insights with you along the way. I got to reflect on this text with uh, a man named Joel Larsgaard, who along with being a lifelong churchgoer, he is also a co-host of the personal finance podcast, How To Money. This week, I spoke with Joel about this text, and he shared with me that the rich fool reminds him of so many people he has encountered, for whom the goal is the amount of wealth, rather than how one could use it as a resource for their own well-being and for the well-being of their neighbor. He points out that the problem isn't the wealth, but rather the motivation. 
what it's used for, how it's seen as a tool for helping uh, one's own household as well as the households of those around them. For him, the rich fool reminds us of our tendency to think of money and possessions solely from an inward self-serving posture. But even more so, he notes that the real warning this parable offers is our tendency, like this landowner, to find security and contentment in our possessions, our things, rather than with God. Friends, too often we look for joy in the wrong places. We look for security in the wrong places. We seek it out through the products we buy, the car we drive, the size home that we live in. We say to ourselves, once I make this much, or once I have saved up this much, or once I get this promotion, or have this car, or this kind of home, then I'll have it. Then I'll be set. Then I can be happy. Unfortunately, research actually shows that once we reach such a milestone, soon enough we'll move the goalposts back even farther, farther and farther, a phenomenon that psychologists call hedonic adaptation, or the hedonic treadmill, which basically means that the happiness that a new possession or milestone provides is short-lived, and soon enough we're back to wanting more believing that we just had a little bit more, then we could be happy. Friends, we miss so much joy along our journeys of life being stuck on this hedonic treadmill, in this cycle of more. In the film Up in the Air, George Clooney plays, uh, uh, portrays a business traveler named Ryan Bingham who lives a vast majority of his life on the road for an HR firm who employs who specializes in employment termination assistance. His job literally consisted of traveling somewhere and firing employees for a company who couldn't do it themselves. We learn quickly that Bingham's primary goals in life are to avoid relational baggage, but also to achieve the top tier status with American Airlines by stockpiling 10 million frequent flyer miles. His identity his security you find very quickly are tied up in this pursuit. A pursuit that's gone on for years, probably decades. Like the parabolic landowner, this 10 million mile goal was his bigger barns to build that he can fill up so he can sit back, relax, and enjoy life. This was his enough. Eventually, he achieves this goal of 10 million miles, friends. But after several personal setbacks, Bingham realizes that there really is no joy or security to be found in reaching this milestone. Instead, he feels a loss. A loss that his obsession with this milestone has kept him from living and enjoying life and kept him from making deep and meaningful relationships with his family and friends. Now, while God doesn't step into the film to call Bingham a fool, it seems pretty clear that he makes this assertion on his own. As the film ends, the viewer is led to believe that such a transformation in him is underway, as he gives a large chunk of his stockpiled miles to his sister and new brother-in-law so that they can go and travel the world. 
thankfully, friends, I believe Jesus offers us a different path. A different path in Luke's gospel to free us from the endless hedonic treadmill of more, of better, of newer. Instead, Jesus offers us an opportunity to discern what enough means in our lives and then seek to live that ethic out together. This is what we'll be discussing following worship in the fellowship hall, reflecting further on our text as well as insights from the minimalism and financial independence communities. I truly hope you'll join us for this discussion. Whether you are a pack rat with a garage overflowing with stuff, or you would be pretty happy living full-time in a tiny house or RV. Whether you feel like you have more than enough for your lifetime and then some, or that you're struggling to make ends meet month to month. I hope you come. We need your voice. We need your input. We need your reflection. Because, friends, I believe it's only together in community and conversation that we can discern this gospel ethic of enough. Friends in Christ, our parable this morning asks us a very bold question. What is enough? Ultimately, friends, this is a question that we have to answer for ourselves. What's enough for me may not be enough for you. And what's enough for you today may look dramatically different than what's enough for you 10 years from now. But our parable this morning, and those we'll look at throughout this series, will help us begin this ethical discernment with ourselves and with each other in conversation and community. Enough is not a sense of joy or security which can be found in our possessions or wealth. Instead, the parable reminds us that joy and security can only be found in relationship with God and each other. May we seek to ask ourselves these bold questions in conversation. May we seek to come together in reflection and discernment together as we seek to find and live out our own ethic of enough. May it be so, friends, for us and for all of God's children. Amen.